right, man. Welcome to the introduction for episode 118. Jason Lindgren is with me, and we are going to talk about three city-states, which most people are familiar with, Tale of Three Cities. In the second hour, I really begin to sum up, and it's the Matrix idea, really, if you logically break it down. So many people take that literally, but really, in my view, what's being analogized there is in the modern age, so many of us are convinced to believe in fictitious things that have no existence in reality. When in truth, everything that we ever valued about human life is here. It's the natural world. The idea of natural law, by extension common law, an uncomplicated life without so much hassle and all the things that come with it that make people in the modern age miserable. The controlling elements, you see. But these are all based on fictions. And that's primarily what this episode is about. It's a tale of the three cities, which are corporate entities, which in fact are the triple crown or the three pillars that hold the fictitious world afloat pun intended. We've been told over and over, it's in music everywhere, it's it's all over the place, but we have not looked at things from the right perspective. And from my point of view, in fact, the digital age makes it even all the more difficult because all this digital world being brought up around us, it has no existence in reality, and yet we all treat it as if it does. When you go out into your yard and you see a tree, that has reality for the sake of this conversation. doesn't have permanence, but it has reality from our point of view. After all, on the Tale of the Beatles episode we just did, what's the fool on the hill sees the world spinning around or something like this? We've been told so many common sense things over and over and over, but we haven't viewed them in the right context. And our world of corporation and statutory law and all the rest of it is really no different. But in the rising of human consciousness in the modern age, people are beginning to see through the veil and get back to the truth of what is real and what is fictitious. Anyhow, let's jump in with Jason for episode 118. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 118. I have Jason Lindgren with me today, and we are going to be covering, I guess, what we could call a tale of three cities, actually three city-states. I don't really think I need to name them. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And good morning to you. You know, the further you get into this whole city-state thing, the more things that are obviously in your world that you never looked at start offering you detail that really show a level of, what do you even say, the modern era that most people are not even aware of. Well, the first thing that I noticed is just how much squawking to the contrary that the mainstream throws out there regarding this. But once you look at it, it's obvious right there on the surface. You know, on the Tale of the Law series we did, it's going to play directly into what's going on here. Uh, All these things are corporations. People have no idea. They think their political parties are there for a reason. What political parties do is they divide. It's what they're there for. But they're corporations. You know, they're corporations. There is no political entity that you can't look up on Dun & Broad Street. There is no city, no city police, no nothing. All of it is on Dun & Broad Street, and that's going to play directly into what we're going to talk about here, because what this is, you know what this is? This is the real Matrix, not this made-up movie nonsense where you're laying on a table imagining all this. You're not imagining this, Um, but what you are, in fact, imagining is a fictitious world that's been built up around the idea of straw man fictions and corporate fictions and legal fictions, and that is the basis of all of this, and I would point out The natural world, the simple world, is still here, always has been. We've just been fooled into this complex, frustrating, fictitious world of man-made nonsense, and we're going to cover the entities that are the seed for all this. Yes, we are. Before we get into that, have you visited anyone in the past week or so? I think the next thing I'm doing is Iron Realm Media, but that's not until August, so I don't really have much booked right now. There you go. So let's just go over the website updates then. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. Let's do that in the second hour. Yeah, I think it's better we do it in the second hour um, because some of the things I'm going to talk about I just don't want to throw out into the world, I guess. And the apps. Okay, the apps for Crow 777 Radio are all updated. The place that makes apps, a lot of places, and I'll put this on the record, they request uh, location information, which was unbeknownst to me. It has nothing to do with the way the apps were made. It's the places that serve the apps, and we have put in a request uh, to knock it off, 
to take location identification off anything we do. So there's that. But anyhow, the apps are all updated. Uh, you can easily have access anywhere to all of the first hours of these podcasts. iTunes is also updated. Uh, I'll be working later to maybe get the full show up on iTunes. I'm not sure exactly what that entails, but there's all that, Jason. All right. I think that covers the intro. Let's move on to the city-states. All right, let's jump into the city-states, and, you know, I I can tell from the notes that we've got from the acceptable timeline that we're going to be playing the Count the Ways game an awful lot here. It does look that way. So let's start off with the easy one and define what a city-state is. A city-state is a sovereign state, also described as a type of small, independent country that usually consists of a single city and its dependent territories. And I will add to that, that resides inside another full-blown country. Well, it's kind of funny. When you think of a city, you think of it as diminutive to the state that it's in or the county that it's in. And really part of this definition reverses that. But if you think about it, a state, I guess, is dependent on its cities a lot because they're the generators of revenue. Most people are not aware that almost all revenue I mean, I don't even I'm not even sure I can think of any revenue that isn't in what I'm about to say here is generated by corporations, by statutory law, which is corporations. Every courthouse you will ever walk into is a corporation traded on Duns and Broad or listed on Duns and Broad Street, traded for profit for their shareholders and their directors. You can look any of them up. So when you begin to think about these city states and you start to think about the money that drives them. We're basically living in a corporation or a corporate fictitious world, and that's, that's how these city-states exist. So, let's get into this. There are three cities on the Earth that do not come under the national authority of the countries in which they reside. They have separate laws, pay no taxes, have their own police forces, and possess their own separate flags. These three cities appear to be the control centers of the world's economy, military, and spiritual dealings. The three cities are actually independent corporations from what I can tell. They are the City of London in the heart of London in the United Kingdom, the District of Columbia in the United States, and the Vatican or Vatican City in Rome, Italy. Together they seem to pull the strings of politicians, courts, educational institutions, food supplies, natural resources, foreign policies, economies, media, and the incoming and outgoing flow of money of most of the nations in the world, and they are said to have as much as 80% of the world's entire wealth. Well, my first question is, is where's the other 20%? I'd really like to understand that, but I'm with you, man. It looks like these are corporations, and it's pretty clear that they are, but at the same time, it's kind of a, a hidden mix mash of information you get back. But basically, if we're correct in asserting that these three city-states, as we will call them, are corporations, there's the proof in the pudding. Corporations run everything in this world from governments to militaries to banking. Um, this, these are the three places that seem to be uh, the ultimate arbiters of what happens in this world with regard to those things I just mentioned. So first up, let's do Vatican City. Officially, the Vatican City-state or the state of Vatican City. It is an independent state located within the city of Rome, Italy, with an area of 110 acres and a population of approximately 1,000. It is the smallest state in the world by both area and population. However, formally, it is not sovereign, with sovereignty being held by what is called the Holy See. The name Vatican City was first used in the Lateran Treaty, signed on February 11th, 1929, which established the modern city-state. The name is taken from Vatican Hill, the geographic location of the state. Vatican is derived from the name of an Etruscan settlement, Vatica or Vaticum, meaning garden, located in the general area the Romans called Vaticanus Ager, Vatican territory. And I might add that the Holy See appears to be a corporation's soul passed from one pope to the next, and that is where the corporation comes in in regards to the Vatican. Right, so what you could kind of deduce from all this, and I'm going to get to the number name here in a second, is that the role of pope is like a 
straw man, right? So then you get all these actors that come in and fill this role. And I know I'm probably not describing that very well, but you can see what I'm getting at. Um, the Lateran Treaty is signed on February 11, 1929. Let me count the ways. So sovereignty is held by the Holy See. And the first time we see the name Vatican City first used is in the Lateran Treaty. And of course, that corresponds to 9-11, which our next bullet point is going to get into further. But th these are it's all built on these fictitious ideas of, like, it's a big stage. You know, we've all heard all the world's a stage. There is no truer statement we could make about most of this world. Um, you have this character called the Pope to describe this out, and occasionally a different actor comes along to fill that position. And it's all tied up in corporation and all this other nonsense, but let's do the next bullet point, because this really shows the complicity of our modern world and where it's coming from. Just to explain what the Lateran part means, the Basilica of St. John Lateran is still the Cathedral of Rome and was the Pope's official residence until the 15th century. It was built on the grounds formerly occupied by the Imperial Horse Guards Barracks of Monticello by Constantine and was consecrated by Pope Sylvester in 324. Right. So it was the Pope's residence from 904 until 911, of course. But there's more. St. John's Cathedral was, if I remember correctly, Jason, the first cathedral. The doors, those big doors on that cathedral are actually the Senate doors from a place that we are told is called ancient Rome. So, you know, our past episodes really show the continuity of these ideas, whether they existed in history like 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 we're told they did, the point is, is you can't separate them. The idea of ancient Rome is Vatican City. There is no separating these ideas. And as we are told, ancient Rome perfected the idea of admiralty law, the idea of corporation, the idea, all these ideas that weigh so heavily on us today. So let's get into a little bit more about the Holy See, also called the See of Rome. It is the ecclesiastical jurisdiction of the Catholic Church in Rome, the Episcopal See of the Pope, and an independent sovereign entity. It serves as the central point of reference for the Catholic Church everywhere, and the focal point of communion due to its position as the preeminent Episcopal See of the Universal Church. Today, it is responsible for the governance of all Catholics, organized in their particular churches, patriarchates, and religious institutes. As an independent sovereign entity, holding the Vatican City enclave in Rome as an independent state, it maintains diplomatic relations with other states. It is viewed as analogous to a state while administered by the Roman Curia, which is Latin for the Roman court, similar to a centralized government with the Cardinal Secretary of State as its chief administrator and various dicasteries comparable to ministries and executive departments. And as I said, as far as I can tell, it is indeed a corporation soul passed from one to the next. And as we get in here, Jason, I mean, is this the top corporation? Are these the top dogs? Um, I think a lot of people would make the argument that they are. Um, and I think part of that is due to understanding that it's been around the longest, um, as far as I know. But earlier in the bullet point, we kind of skipped over um, these these numerical ideas that go on and on and on. The first time they use Vatican City is February 11, 1929, count the ways. It is situated on 44 hectares. If I had to proffer a guess here, um, it's the Jupiterian idea. As we covered previously, the modern era for Western religion starts with the biblical covering of Jesus in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is the age of Jupiter by the sky clock trackers. So probably this 44 is doing two things. It's recognizing Jupiter as the fourth planet, which is the whole kind of foundational part of the foundational idea here. But it's also 44, which is eight, which is like the, uh, what do they call the city? It goes on forever. Oh, the eternal city. So the eight idea. But it, that also is 110 acres, which is the 11 idea. Never lost on numbers here. But I'll just stop there, Jason. Go ahead. So something that you've brought up many times in the course of our shows, the Roman Catholic Church claims the whole world. In 1302, Pope Boniface VIII issued his infamous Papal Bull Unum Sanctum, the first express trust. He claimed control over the entirety of God's creation, which made him king of the world. Sounds very much like a Caesar as well, doesn't it? A little bit. In celebration, he commissioned a gold-plated headdress in the shape of a pine cone. 
This ornate piece of headgear had an elaborate crown at its base. The pine cone is an ancient symbol of fertility and one traditionally associated with Baal, as well as the cult of Cybele. It also represents the pineal gland in the center of our brains, which is supposed to be crystalline in nature, which allows us to access what some call source. Hence, they have a 13-foot-tall pine cone statue in the Vatican Square. So I've I've looked at this. It's been a long time since I looked at the pinecone statue, but I've referenced it a lot. And of course, it's 13 feet tall. And based numerology, that's four. Again, probably echoing the idea of Jupiter, whose symbol is basically a four and was recognized as the fourth visible planet at some supposed time in antiquity. But of course, uh, I think the main reference here is to the activated pineal gland. Um, the pinecone is an evergreen. In other words, it never dies. These types of ideas. And also a pinecone is a similar shape as the actual pineal gland. And of course, the pine cone, if you were to break down the word pineal and pine, you would see how close they are. Even if you use numerology to make the C in pine cone and recognize that's a three, so is L. So it could be pineal one, these kinds of ideas. A lot of people have broken it down in different ways. But my estimation, we should call Pope Boniface Pope Boldface. I mean, this is the thing that James Clavell references in the book Shogun, where the pilot is trying to say, hey, you don't understand what he calls papists uh, own you. And the Shogun of Japan at this time is saying, what the hell are you talking about? I've never even heard of this pope. And he goes into this whole explanation about unum sanctum, or the first express trust, basically placing, as far as I can tell, the entire world in a trust that they have claimed. Um, and of course, this is likely the beginning of all the corporate nonsense that follows us into the modern era. Though I know people have different views on it, you will find many people who track it all back to the city-state called Rome. And even in that story, there was a bishop or something like that right there in the very beginning, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of drawing a blank here, Jason. Come back to it. So let's go a little bit more into the pine cone just so people can see what we're on about here. The pine cone has long been used as a symbolic representation of human enlightenment, the third eye, and the pineal gland. Conifer pine trees are thought to be one of the most ancient plant genera on the planet, having existed nearly three times longer than all flowering plant species. The pine cone is considered to be the evolutionary precursor to the flower, and its spines spiral in a perfect Fibonacci sequence in either direction, very much like the sacred geometry evident in a rose or a sunflower. And as I have stated so many times, I feel that sacred geometry is the blueprints, whatever God exists, to make the universe. You know, if you go look up a lot of these characters, and they are characters, you will be informed regularly that the initial education they got was in what's called the seven liberal arts. The seven liberal arts can be looked up today uh, in things like the quadrivium and the trivium. It is very difficult to, for at least it has been for me, to find the complete liberal arts, whatever it may have been. We get abridged versions of it, and most of the time what you see in what's called the quadrivium and trivium now represent what was taught, but in a very abridged form. It's exactly what Jason's talking about. There was a time when people understood the value of what nature is offering us, and these so-called seven liberal arts were the basis for all that. Sacred geometry, music and math, all placed together. You can look these things up. But at the end of the day, what you are looking at is the older, maybe alchemical, natural science, natural law ideas being maintained up into the creation of corporations and legal fictions. That's the blunt way that I would outline it, Jason. And to finish up this lovely little popple bull thing. That there is only one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We are compelled by faith to believe and hold, and we firmly believe in her and sincerely confess her, outside of whom there is neither salvation nor remission of sins. Furthermore, we declare, state, and define that it is absolutely necessary for the salvation of all human beings that they submit to the Roman pontiff. Quoted from Pope Boniface VIII, Unum Sanctum, November 18th, 1302. Of course, Pope Boldface here had to do it on the 18th, didn't he? That's the triple six idea. And I don't know, for my part in the modern era at least, anyone who rereads or re-listens to what you just said, how in the hell does anyone accept this? 
We are human beings with free will, and everything you just stated is contrary to being a human being of free will. It's basically almost like a form of dictatorship, but having to do with spirituality. It's beyond the pale for me, and anyone who goes back and looks at these histories, in the modern era, it's a real eye-opener, at least it is for me. The way I see it is the Roman Empire had trouble controlling its entire land masses with boots on the ground. So it shifted and became what is now the Catholic Church. Catholic means universal, universal meaning all. And what does this little statement here say? The salvation of all human beings must submit. So I'm going to say that the Roman Empire never fell, it just morphed. Well, it's, you know, it doesn't even fit reality when you begin to read it because this is a big world. There's a lot of different types of people here that have a lot of different types of belief systems. And so here, you know, they do the unum sanctum thing and they put everything in the world in a trust, a fictitious trust. And then they come along with statements like this. And then they go out into the world and they decimate uh, native cultures everywhere they can. And it goes to show what this is actually about has nothing to do with spirituality. Nothing. These are legal fictions. And they are couched in spiritualism. And they're not. They just are not. And we've covered this so many times, Jason. People get upset when we talk about this, but I mean, come on. We're past the year 2000 here. At what point do we begin to look at these archaic ideas, and they are archaic, and start to realize, hey, this doesn't fit where human consciousness is anymore. We all understand we have temples on our side of our head. If you want to to read the Bible, you will even read that the kingdom of God is within. All these ideas go firmly against what the Holy See did, what they put forward, and their fictitious kind of legalistic corporate world they have tried to spin up around us. I guess they haven't tried. They've done it. I would just submit all that, Jason. Next, let's mention the money system of the Vatican itself. The Institute for Works of Religion, the IOR, or in Italian, Instituto per le Opere di Religione, also known as the Vatican Bank. It's a financial agency situated in the Vatican that conducts worldwide financial activities. It has multilingual ATMs with instructions in Latin, possibly the only ATM in the world with this feature. Latin, the dead language, folks, that's on the ATMs in the Vatican. Right. My whole life we've been told Latin's a dead language, except about eight months ago, nine months ago, I started hearing that Latin is no longer a dead language. Well, it was never a dead language. All of science uses Latin to name everything. But on this kind of banking at the Vatican bullet point, I'm going to point out one thing here. They claim to be pushing a Bible where the number 666 has been misused to become this whole devil-beast idea. That's what they openly pushed out to everyone in this world. So they call this place the IOR. Those are all sixes. All of it. All of it is sixes encoded. R is always triple six for 18. O breaks to six. And then the I or the nine idea is the inversion of this, which we just played the Beatles game, the two Pauls being six and nine. What more do you need to know here? It's an illusion. It's all an illusion. And I didn't pull any of the articles throughout history, but this organization has a history of being used for money laundering by a lot of big business people, not just in Italy, but all over. And supposedly they've been cleaning it up in the past couple of decades, but (laughs) sure. Well, what always gets me when when you look at the idea of the Vatican is that place is like the most rich palace you'll ever lay eyes on in this world. So much money tied up in it all, and yet it's supposed to be about the spiritual development of human beings and taking care of human beings and feeding the poor and all these ideas that they pushed out to the world. And in fact, what's gone on is they've built themselves and, you know, he's the emperor of a little kingdom here, and it is so damn rich, it's beyond the pale. What about the people that you claimed you were responsible for, spiritually and otherwise. Uh, It's completely illogical. In the modern era, where human consciousness resides now, when you look at it, it is archaic. And for my part, it needs to go the heck away. Um, It does not fit where human consciousness is going. It will try to. It will bear its bicep. It will show you steel-toed boots, I am sure, to hold on to what they have. But for my part, these are archaic ideas that hold no part in the rising of human consciousness. Let's define that a little bit more. The Vatican 
And the Catholic Church as a whole has so much wealth that they don't even discuss, but it's obvious the opulence that exists everywhere. They could, I would bet, stop world hunger, fix countries that are basically decimated. They could do so much with the wealth that they've accumulated. Then let's also talk about the wealth of knowledge that they hold behind locked doors that no one can get in unless you specifically ask for a document and you have to know exactly what it is or they won't let you in and you have to be a Catholic and, of course, get permission directly from the Pope. Or you you don't get in. So what are they holding? Hundreds and hundreds of years, at least, worth of knowledge in the Vatican archives. I'd say that they have a control system set up that is very, very good for them and not good for anyone else. In my view, Jason, part of that information that's being obscured likely has a lot to do with the true history that we know nothing about. I also think this. Yeah, this fictitious world that, you know, the Matrix movie makes it into this sci-fi reality that more people get lost in. Are we laying on a table somewhere? No, we're not laying on a damn table anywhere. Get real. Get real. They're pointing out that all these fictitious ideas that are then accepted create an illusory existence, which is where we currently are. Where we currently are. All the living men and women listening to this are only really subject to natural law, and common law is a form of that. The rest of it is statutory fictions based on a corporate straw man, which was brought to us by places like this. But when you start to really take apart the amount of probable ancient history that is being hidden from the world and what we're told is the catacombs of Rome, what are we looking at here? These are controlling mechanisms. In my view, there is nothing redeeming, nothing redeeming about any of this, and I will never accept that they were engaged in supposedly helping spiritual achievements of anyone, because what you can see is that they've held on to power, and what you can see is they obscured the transition from what they call ancient Rome into the city of London, even taking the doors of the Senate from what they call ancient Rome and placing it on St. John's Basilica, which is the first, one of the first places um, that the Pope's going to hang out and do business from. Later, it's going to become St. Paul's, but uh, take it apart. Look at your history. Use the modern consciousness of modern human beings to look at what's gone on here and you know i will maintain there is no no place for these kinds of archaic institutions in the rising consciousness of the modern human existence and of course we're hinting at all the things they do behind the scenes let's go into briefly the terrible things that the catholic church did for centuries at least out in the open manipulating politics claiming people to be heretics and torturing them, just all sorts of terrible, terrible things. They were the government that wasn't the government for many countries, in Europe especially, for a very long time. And now they just do it behind the scenes. You know, there's there's also, people could try to look into this. I've seen people coming at this idea recently, the triple crown idea, where there were these secret kind of crowns that were not openly known to anyone. I think the Vatican was issuing them. One of the first ones seems to have went to Spain. Uh, I forget the name of the kingship there, Aragon or something. I don't know if I'm getting that right. Apparently, it was, it was handed to Henry VIII at some point. But when you start to look at these things, what you're looking at is the subjugation of humanity. It's what it is. And a lot of people have problems with that because of the religious tradition they've been brought up in. But I would remind anyone listening who gets upset by these words, in the very book that you are following, it tells you the kingdom of God is within. Everyone who went to school understands you have temples on the side of your heads. What is being told you? I would ask, do you need people like this trying to tell you if you don't give us total control, then somehow you're going to go burn for eternity and other nonsense? These are corporate entities, the positions being held by actor after actor after actor. For the same reason, when you look at, for instance, the government of the United States, all these acts being put out by the political infrastructure, words have meaning. Look deeply. Um, We're not telling you something far-fetched here at all. So, yeah, the Vatican. Definitely behind a very large amount of the evil in the world today. I think that's pretty much the consensus here. But there are still two more city-states to get to. You know, Jason, I would just add, I think a lot of people will cringe at that language. But I will just say one more time. 
human consciousness is rising, particularly as far as I can tell in the West. And so if you measure what's gone on here and you look at it critically and set aside all your predisposed ideas and break down what's happened and what is currently happening and you measure it against where human beings currently are, I think you can come to the conclusion that we need to get beyond these things. Indeed. So next we have the city of London. This is a city and county as well that contains the historic center and the primary central business district of London. Originally known as Londinium, Roman legions established the city on the current site of the city of London around AD 43. Its bridge over the River Thames turned the city into a road nexus and major port, serving as a major commercial center in Roman Britain until its abandonment during the 5th century. The city is now only a tiny part of the giant metropolis of London, though it remains a notable part of central London. Administratively, it forms one of the 33 local authority districts of Greater London. However, the City of London is not a London borough, a status reserved for the other 32 districts, including London's only other city, the City of Westminster. It is also a separate county of England, being an enclave surrounded by Greater London. Well, it never ends. So established by Roman legions. There it is. You just can't get away from the story of ancient Rome, whatever it truly may have been. Um, I don't accept history as it's been handed us because mostly it's been handed to us by the places we're talking about. And they had a vested interest in trying to control the entirety of what we call the world. And Unum Sanctum proves that, by the way, the papal bull Unum Sanctum. If you think we're talking nonsense here, look it up. It's still in force to this day, by the way. Um, And, you know, as we break down what we're looking at here, 33 local authority districts, really, go look at the UN flag divided up into 33 sections. It it goes on and on and on. And, And the real problem here is it's one thing to have these things, but it's entirely another thing to obscure them. Why is not all of this taught in school? There's a good reason for it, because these are control mechanisms. They are weaving legal fictions and control mechanisms for the entire world. That is why it's not taught in school. But much like the show, the Truman Show, uh, there is a scene there where Kristoff is confronted for having treated Truman in that movie so badly. And Kristoff's response is, you know what? If Truman truly wanted out, He could leave. I mean, if he truly, truly, truly wanted to leave, he could do it. And the funny thing is, is Truman gets in his boat, which has a biblical scripture number on the sail, by the way, and he gets all the way to that door. And even as he's standing there at the door with his hand on the door, Kristoff is convinced Truman won't go through the door. Well, guess what? Truman goes through the door. So I'm asking, what, at what point do do all of us as a society get to that door and open the door? Um, because these are the institutions that have kind of formed the web of misery, as far as I can tell, that is around us with statutory law, with all the things that are cor- corporate fictions. That is how all of this is powered, as far as I can tell. The local authority for the city, namely the City of London Corporation, they're very out in the open with this one, folks, is unique in the United Kingdom and has some unusual responsibilities for a local council, such as being the police authority. It is also unusual in having responsibilities and ownerships beyond its boundaries. Yeah, I bet it does. The corporation is headed by the Lord Mayor of the City of London, an office that is separate from, as well as much older than, the Mayor of London. The current Lord Mayor, as of November 2017, is Charles Bowman. So he's got a fictitious title. Lord Lord Mayor is just a fiction. It's like a straw man character. People will come along as actors and fill that position over and over and over. All the world is truly a stage. In the case of the City of London, they're telling you openly it's a corporation, but they don't have to hide all the things the Vatican has to hide because the Vatican's trying to play off that it's here for your spiritual benefit. You see, so the Vatican hides the fact that it is no different. It is a corporation. It is all for profit, all of it. There is no portion of anything we will cover today that is not for profit. And if you don't believe it, you look up the Dunn, the Dunn's number on Dunn and Broad Street. There is almost nothing. I sat here one evening and looked up everything in my local area from cities to townships to police, everything, all of it listed on Dunn and Broad Street. They have a Dunn's number. They are traded for profit. And so this is the world we have come to. Really, truly, 
do we want to exist in a world where everything is based on profit? The money has no value, so the people are treated as the chattel, because that's currently where we are, and the three cities that we will talk about are the enforced the enforcement mechanisms in this world that keep it in place. And by the way, it is all the matrix. It is a legal fiction. To recognize the truth is to have the ability to begin to walk away from it back to a natural world that is infinitely more normal for a human life. The City of London Corporation, officially and legally, the mayor and commonality and citizens of the City of London is the municipal governing body of the City of London, the historic center of London, and the location of much of the United Kingdom's financial sector, and not just the United Kingdom, I might add. In 2006, the name was changed from Corporation of London to avoid confusion with the wider London local government, the Greater London Authority. The corporation is probably the world's oldest continuously elected local government authority. Both businesses and residents of the city, or square mile as they call it, are entitled to vote in elections, and in addition to its functions as the local authority, analogous to those undertaken by the 32 boroughs that administer the rest of the Greater London Region, it takes responsibility for supporting the financial services industry and representing its interests. The corporation's structure includes the Lord Mayor, the Court of Aldermen, the Court of Common Council, and the freemen and livery of the city. All right, it's a good place to take a little break and once again outline what a corporation is. For everyone listening, do you understand who a corporation serves? Say I go to Walmart. That's a corporation, right? Who is Walmart serving? Is it serving the customer? On the face of it, it appears to be, but in fact, it's not. A corporation, any corporation, serves two entities, the shareholders and the directors of the corporation. I guess someone might say even the officers, which that's a whole other discussion about what we used to have policemen and what we currently have police officers, which is in fact the whole idea of what we see in our changing world of the police state onset from police cars saying to protect and to serve, which is the idea of a policeman, to things like keeping the peace which is things like a police officer. An officer holds a position in a corporation. There, I don't know if there are any police entities you can look up in the modern era that are not traded on, you know, listed on Dunn and Broad Street. But to get back to the point here, if you understand that every corporation serves basically the shareholders and the directors, then when you understand that all politics, all political parties, all governments, all everything that matters in this world is a corporation, you have been told a very important thing because you are a person who is no longer being served, if you ever were at any point. But Jason, should we take a crack at listing some of the places that exist within the city of London, that magical mile? The magical mile has organizations, quite a few organizations that exist within it. The Alzheimer Society, Association of Accounting Technicians, Association of British Insurers, Association of Corporate Treasurers, Asthma UK, Aviation Environment Federation, Bank of England, Big Lottery Fund, Bridge House Estates, Bright Ideas Trust, British Amusement Catering Trade Association, British Bankers Association, British Contact Lens Association, British Hospitality Association, British Meat Processors Association, British Orthodontic Society, British Red Cross, the Brokerage CityLink, Business Services Association, Worshipful Company of Butchers, Chartered Insurance Institute, Child and Company, City of London Club, City of London Ward Clubs, College of Arms, Commissioners for the Reduction of the National Debt, Debt Management Office, Employment Appeal Tribunal, Engineering UK, European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, the Fair Trade Foundation, Federation of Oils, Seeds and Fats Associations, Fuller, Banbury, Nix and Company, General Optical Council, Inner Temple, Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales, Institute of Marine Engineers, Institution of Environmental Sciences, Institution of Mining Engineers, International Bar Association, International Federation of Spirits Producers, International Financial Services London, International Press Telecommunications Council, The Honorable The Irish Society, Lloyds of London, London International Financial Futures and Options Exchange, London Metal Exchange, London Platinum and Palladium Market, 
London Silver Vaults, London Stock Exchange, Marine Stewardship Council, Middle Temple, National Access and Scaffolding Confederation, National Infrastructure Commission, Nesta, which is a charity, Panel on Takeovers and Mergers, Pathological Society, Pathological Society of London, Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association, Port of London Authority, The Prince's Trust, Public Works Loan Board, Publishers Licensing Services, Quail Monroe, Robert Fleming and Company, Royal College of Emergency Medicine, Royal Television Society, Royal Town Planning Institute, Worshipful Company of Shipwrights, Society for Underwater Technology, The City UK, Trinity House, Trust for London, and Worshipful Company of Educators. <laughs> but we're not done yet. <laughs> yeah, but I think anything with Worshipful in front of it pretty much is Masonic, right? Isn't that the idea there? Yeah, kind of, sort of. It's funny, Jason, just a few of the things you touched on, like the Royal Television Society. I'll bet you there's a whole show in that one. How about the International Bar Association? What cracks me up is all the people who pass the bar in the United States have no idea of the connection to the UK, which is right here in the International Bar Association. But what really makes me think we should look into a show is the first one you mentioned is the Alzheimer's Society. So many people trying to draw lines um, with Alzheimer's and the idea of aluminum and the idea that planes are spraying a form of aluminum and the fact that I forget what the last number I read was 70-80% of people supposedly supposed to get Alzheimer's now um, and that's one of the places within the city of London. There's a lot of shows. We could pick almost any one of these, Jason, and easily do two hours on it. Now, something very important, considering all the law we've done recently. The Inns of Court in London are the professional associations for barristers in England and Wales. All barristers must belong to one such association. They have supervisory and disciplinary functions over their members. The Inns also provide libraries, dining facilities, and professional accommodation. Each also has a church or chapel attached to it and is a self-contained precinct where barristers traditionally train and practice, although growth in the legal profession, together with a desire to practice from more modern accommodations, caused many barristers' chambers to move outside the precincts of the Inns of Court in the late 20th century. So this is a very telling bullet point, though most people will probably miss why. All these barristers or any lawyer anywhere that speaks legalese, that uses Black's Law Dictionary, is basically engaged in driving money from living men and women through the use of a straw man entity, which is your birth name in capital letters, and it's all based on legal corporate fictions, which in fact statutory law is also legal fictions. The whole entirety of it is to convince you that you are a person, when in fact you are a living man or woman if you are listening to this. So this is very telling, Jason. This is all centered in this magical city of London. And don't forget that the United States was, of course, a colony of the United Kingdom, and therefore a lot of what became laws in the United States came directly from the United Kingdom. And a lot of this stuff was established long before the colonies. Well, we had someone on and we looked up what bar meant to pass the bar if you're an attorney, a lawyer in the United States. And we found a definition that was the British something where they actually the word bar was flat out showing you that you're basically bowing down to the city of London here where all this stuff is centered. Do you remember what the breakdown of B.A.R. the word bar was? It was British something. I just can't remember. It's supposed to stand for the British Accreditation Registry, and it's one of the topics in focus at Global Oneness. A bar association is a professional body of lawyers who, in some jurisdictions, are responsible for the regulation of the legal profession. And that's from the National Liberty Alliance. I don't know exactly what Global Oneness is, but there you go. <laughs> I know I know what global one this is. Some people call it the new world order, right? I'm just making a joke, Jason. It, it cracks me up that, you know, when you think of ideas from the United States, like the Declaration of Independence, right? Um, these guys hated that place over there, England. So they came to this new place. Then they turned around, named everything here after the place they just came from, New England, all the town names, Portsmouth, Bristol, they're all the same as England. And then we have the idea of the bar, which is the British accredited registry. So from the time whenever it was in this country when we started to get lawyers to pass the bar it's pretty clear there was never any independence from the control of the british crown or the city or however you want to describe that 
Well, it's pretty obvious that everything is still interconnected. There's just no doubt about it. And this whole city-state thing is indicative of how everything is completely intertwined and how they manipulate everything. In my view, it's all fraud. It's a bit like when you're born and your parents inform on you by getting you registered. Uh, Whenever you register anything, what you're doing is you're giving the ownership of that thing away. When you're forced to register or maybe coerced into registering your vehicle, you have in fact given ownership of that vehicle away. There, you know, I was watching something the other night where they were saying in somewhere in the UK, they were crushing cars because they hadn't paid taxes or something. And they can, it's, it's legal to do it, but it's not lawful. There's all these meanings that people have taken zero time to get at, but you know, it's all fraud. Did your parents understand that they were giving ownership of their child with the registration of a birth certificate? In other words, they gave the ownership of the child away and they got a certificate in exchange. And people that hear this will think that can't be. And I invite you all. You think it can't be? Go take a look. And it's these three cities that it's like the triple, it's the trifecta of keeping this fictitious world alive where in fact, parents have a child, they think that they're doing what everyone needs to do, and in the eyes of these legalese kind of perversion fraud places we're talking about, you're informing on your child and handing ownership away, which is in fact why places like in the United States, social services can come take your kid, why they can, can demand that that kid gets inoculated. You know why? Because of that registration. Um, people need to begin to look at these things and begin to decide for themselves. In the modern era, as human consciousness in the West rises, is there any place in a world where consciousness is rising for these archaic ideas that were basically fraudulently put on us in the first place? Because nobody told you the truth. There have been lawyers in the temple since 1320. In the earliest centuries of their existence, the inns were any of a sizable number of buildings or precincts where lawyers traditionally lodged, trained, and carried on their profession. Over the centuries, the four inns of court became where barristers were trained, while the more numerous inns of chancery, which were affiliated to the inns of court, became where solicitors were trained. The four inns of court are the Honorable Society of Lincoln's Inn, the Honorable Society of the Inner Temple, the Honorable Society of the Middle Temple, and the Honorable Society of Gray's Inn. Well, I take umbrage that any of this is honorable, uh, and it's not, but this is a telling thing. There have been lawyers in the temple, hint, 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 since 1320. So uh, could we say this another way? Their religion is basically law, but it's fictitious corporate law and these kind of statutory ideas. This is not what is originally outlined in the Western Bible called natural law, the basis for common law in which every living human being is born knowing what is right and what is wrong. That is the basis for natural law. All this other nonsense where every year they add a gazillion more laws to the books where no living human being could possibly understand what is legal and what is legal, here we are. There have been lawyers in the temple since 1320. It's a perversion. Um, And that seems a little blunt to say it that way, but really when you break it down to brass tacks, that's what it is. What normal world would have lawyers in a temple? I mean, I'm just asking. (laughs) To be called to the bar and practice as a barrister in England and Wales, an individual must belong to one of these inns. It is located in the wider temple area of the capital near the Royal Courts of Justice and within the City of London. The call to the bar is a legal term of art in most common law jurisdictions where persons must be qualified to be allowed to argue in court on behalf of another party and are then said to have been called to the bar or to have received a call to the bar. You know, I will not even get you. We've done so much on the law, but being called to the bar, arguing in court, get back to common sense, man. Think about these things. So justice is basically meted out if you argue in a court. I mean, what are we in seventh grade here? We need to argue about things. That's how the words put it forward. Uh, Called to the bar in the legal episodes we've done, you can understand all what that that is about that you've never been told. But I mean, it's when you really take a look at these things you've accepted your whole life, it's astonishing. And it is exactly like the Truman Show. And it is exactly like the the sci-fi LSD trip, The Matrix. So the list I read off to everyone, I got that from, of course, a mainstream source. 
but they left off a lot of other things that go on there. And I don't want to get into this because we're at the end of hour one here, but most importantly, Freemasons and the Rothschilds. Of course, it's all in the city of London. Yeah, it never ends. When we come back in hour two, Jason, we'll start to get into this, but anyone who was paying close attention when you were going through the list of things in the city-state called the City of London, when you said worshipful, worshipful anything, that's almost certainly a nod to Freemasonry. I've never heard the language anywhere else, so that's what I associate it with, and we will begin to cover these things in the second hour. Also in the second hour, I have a message for the membership of Crow 777 Radio. Uh, there have been a lot of upgrades on the website, but there are some other things that I'll lay down. Is there anything you want to add in before we close 118 here? No, I think I'm good. Let's uh, let's move on to hour two. All right, that brings hour one of episode 118 to a close. At the posting of this episode, there will be 118 free hours of content on crow777radio.com, and it does not require a login. The, the same content is also accessible from our free apps for iOS and Android and over at iTunes, all free. I hope to see you all over at crow777radio.com. We kind of push on the edge of what we can say in the first hour, but the truth is, until we get to the website, free speech is under the gun. We have no way to understand when an episode will be pulled, when we will get strikes, and when the content will just simply be removed so that the people out in our audience cannot hear what we're talking about. So in fact, the second hour is very important these days with regard to free speech. There it is, man. Cheers. Cheers. 